Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Becky Gray, Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation. Uh, Becky is... Uh, has been on our program a number of times, and she's been with the Log Foundation. How long have you been with the Log Foundation? About 10 years. And they said you couldn't yeah. keep a job. I know, no, I know. So. Well, I told you, nobody else wants my job. I work with politicians all day. <laughs> well, um, okay, I'm going I'm to leave that one alone. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um, and, uh, of course, you've been a frequent guest on Tom Campbell's North Carolina SPIN program for a number of times, a number of years as well. Okay, so uh, let's talk about the North Carolina economy in general and how this affects the legislature. Uh, you know, all everybody is always concerned about job growth, and uh, one of the things that uh, we always worry about is getting our fair share of new industry, and one of the things that always comes into play is this matter of incentives. We are fighting with other states uh, for industry, and so that puts the pressure on incentives. A lot of controversy about incentives for a long time because if you're making gadgets and a new company comes in, they get incentives. The people who have been paying taxes for years are actually punished uh, in a way because they don't get the uh, the benefit of uh, uh, a tax break. That's uh, one of the issues that's always bothered me a lot about incentives. On the other hand, we're forced into it because South Carolina and Virginia and Georgia and all the other states are doing it. Well, that doesn't make it right. You know, it's, but, as your mother yeah, used yeah. to tell you, you know, if everybody else was jumping off a bridge, would you would you do that? It, it doesn't make it right. It looks like to me this is something Congress ought to do. They always just say, look, tax incentives are just not legal. Well, you know, I think you're absolutely right. The other thing that we could do, you meant, you know, we are not competing with Oregon and Washington State and Nevada for these things. We're no. com- As you mentioned, we're competing with Virginia, South Carolina. So, you know, even if we did a regional compact, it wouldn't have no. to be the whole country, but no. even those of us in the southeast went together and said, you know, we're going to sell our region as the best place in the state to come and do business and then compete among ourselves with lower tax rates, with fewer regulation, with just the natural resources that we have. Those kind of things would certainly be a better way to do it than when government is really taking a risk with taxpayer money by betting on a particular industry or, in many cases, a particular company. Uh, But this does seem to go on. But, Don, one thing that we've seen, some improvements over the years, if you're going to to do this and again I don't think it's a good idea to do it at all but if you're going to do it to put more accountability into place and do things like perhaps instead of for example instead of just handing taxpayer cash over to a company to come what if you did an exit um, off of the highway or put some infrastructure in place that would benefit that company, then if something happens, the company picks up and leaves, you still have an asset, you being the, ta- yes. the taxpayers, yeah. you have an asset that would have value to someone else that perhaps would draw them to take up that particular piece of property. So there's you know there's ways to do it. Doing some of these as grants rather than just giveaway projects so that in the budget process, it is determined by our elected officials okay, this is how much money we're going to give for this particular industry. They did this with the film incentives a couple years ago, where rather than just having it embedded in the tax code, they put it in a grant program. I think it was $15 million the first year, so that we as taxpayers and people that are trying to keep up with the budget know this is how much money we have. There's a competitive grant program process that goes into place so that we have some oversight as to who's getting that money 
still I'd rather see none of that going on and just take all of that money put it into community colleges for workforce training um, offer a lower tax rate roll regulations back and then open the doors to North Carolina and say come and compete for the the best business environment that we can possibly provide so how are we doing as far as our overall economic growth in North Carolina? Are we keeping pace? Or are we online with uh, what we can afford and what we need? Actually, our economy is doing great and has been for a number of years. As the country was coming out of that recession of 2009, um, North Carolina has recovered quite well. And just for example, in 2011, when we were going through the budget process, there was a $650 million shortfall in that budget. And over the years with, I believe, some of the policies that have been put into place that have really grown our economy, things like tax reductions, really transforming our tax system, really reducing regulation, making smarter investments in education and infrastructure, doing those kind of things has really led to unprecedented economic growth where we have low unemployment, uh, businesses are coming to North Carolina, are growing, more people are working, all of those things are good. Now a lot of that is the national sweep coming out of the um, coming out of the recession. But North Carolina is doing quite well, and I think it's key to remember that in order to do this, in order to continue this economic growth, we need to continue on the path we're on with these policies that have been put into place. So uh, we've got uh, this whole economic situation going pretty well. Uh, how does the tariff battle that uh, is going on on the, on the federal level uh, especially with China, how does that affect North Carolina and what uh, consequences might we face if this goes on much longer? Well, you know, we don't really know the answer to that because a lot of this is just being implemented or in many cases talked about, but there's tremendous concern with um, manufacturing, with what's left of manufacturing in North Carolina, with some of the new manufacturing that we have with pharmaceuticals and those kind of things. Um, many of the, the goods that we produce in North Carolina with automobile parts and those kind of things. Don, there's a real concern about it. And then particularly with our farmers, there's a, a real concern yep. with the tariffs and the trade on the food items. You know, agriculture is still the number one business in North Carolina, and we've taken such tremendous hits over the last several years just with the weather-related things. So there's a real concern within the agriculture and the farming community on this. So it's certainly not something to be taken lightly. And um, North Car- if, we, if we are we're not the state that would have the greatest impact it would certainly have impacts on us and there's a lot of concern across North Carolina on this one of the truly interesting things and I don't think we we are as thankful for this as we should be and have never really appreciated it but I don't know of another state that suffered could have gotten through the transition we had in North Carolina moving from textiles tobacco manufacturing and furniture we lost all three of those industries and yet we have grown. Uh, you take uh, the automobile industry in Michigan, it was devastating. They, they didn't find a replacement. But uh, uh, it, it's fascinating that we have continued to grow despite losing our three big major backbone industries from the from the 80, 70s and 80s in that period of time. It's incredible. It is incredible. And, you know, part of that is the replacement with – Higher paying jobs. Um, Higher paying jobs. The biotechnology um, 
companies, with the pharmaceutical companies and the support for that, the research and development. Uh, you know, just look at the Research Triangle Park yeah. and how that has grown and the companies are coming in for that. Um, some of these venture capital um, things. And, you know, Don, this didn't happen by accident. This is decades of strong leadership. And I would argue that really what is responsible for that in a lot of ways is the great work that the universities have done and the resource that our university system has been. Well, I was going to um, say, the, the, we have always put great emphasis. I mean, we, we went to the community college system in the 1960, early 1960s, and uh, we have always put a major emphasis on the higher education in North Carolina, and it has paid off in, in uh, chips. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and this this is the kind of leadership and the emphasis that we place on education in North Carolina. Fifty seven percent of our state budget, and that has been the percentage has been pretty consistent over the years, um, has gone to education. So we have always highly valued that, and I think that's one reason for you know as you mentioned this resurgence that we've been able to to have with some of these um, venture capital companies and opportunities investments that are coming out of. NC State and Chapel Hill and I mean look at the hospitals and the medical research that we're doing it's just you're you're exactly right it is phenomenal well uh, you know and looking ahead at the North Carolina economy we also have to look at the fact that uh, we also are in an area where people want to come to live uh, it is uh, um, a great state uh, it, you know we see the four seasons we have the mountains we have the coast the livability in North Carolina is something that is the envy of most of the nation. Right. And, you know, I mean, talk to some of our recent transplants, people that have moved here from we New Jersey, for example. We call them Yankees. And <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, we love our Yankees. We do. We do. But some of these folks, you know, who are moving here from the Northeast, um, you know, they're paying – tens of thousands of dollars a year in property taxes, what they're what they're able to buy with their money when they come here. And then also the quality of life um, is great. And the, the job opportunities, opportunities that we have, good education for kids and the job opportunities that we have. We're one of the fastest growing states in the country, the ninth largest state in the country. And as a matter of fact, we were talking earlier about redistricting and elections. It looks like in this next census, we will have at least one more congressional Congressional seat and maybe two, and maybe two. Yeah. so you know more representation in Raleigh. So I, I, I think North Carolina is a great place to live. Well, you know we we haven't talked about that uh, as much as maybe we should, but North Carolina is getting to be uh, sort of the, the the bellwether state because we are a purple state and we're up to, for play, and uh, and now we're getting some size to the point where I mean almost every politician on the national level running for president has got to look to North Carolina and say, wait a minute, that's one state I've got to take. Right. Yeah. Uh, because uh, uh, it is a bellwether state. Yeah. Uh, you know what was it? Is it Missouri? We used to say as Missouri goes. The show me state. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and you know North Carolina still is a pretty moderate state. Yeah. Um, you know I mean we we're kind of taken aback as we see some of the. Um, some of the arguments and discussions in the General Assembly, some of the positions that the governor has taken. Um, we've always been a, a moderate state, and so some of these positions that seem to be coming from the left and pulling things to the left, I'm not sure North Carolina is quite ready for that. Well, it, 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 the, uh, you know, the, the, 
the middle of the North Carolina probably has a little bit of liberalism in them and a little bit of conservatism in them at the same time. And that's we're not only purple in form of, of uh, registration, but we're probably purple in our feelings and our on issues and things. Well, and you know we have a long history. Having trouble getting that out. It just didn't want to come out of my mouth for some particular reason. But you know we've had a long history too of um, electing voting for a Republican candidate for president and electing Democrat governors. So yes. you know I mean, it goes back and forth. Yeah. Our guest is Becky Gray, and we have one final segment coming up on Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll do that right after these messages. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he could work me like a dog. Hey, man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted, and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or consequence. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. Okay, here goes. I know more about cooking dinner for a party of 12 than I do about packing a lunch for a 12-year-old. I know kids like things like PB&J, pigs in a blanket. Oh, and fish sticks. They do love fish sticks. Fillets I get, but sticks? What part of the fish does the stick come from? I know I can read a cookbook that'll tell me how to make a red wine reduction, but where are the cookbooks that can teach me how to cut the crusts off bologna sandwiches? Oh, maybe we can compromise on mac and cheese. Can you make that with brie? Everybody likes brie, right? You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to push your food around their plate. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. A reminder, this program on Carolina Newsmakers comes in two versions, a hour, full-hour version, which actually has 40, uh, 45 minutes of content, and a half-hour version. A number of our affiliates carry the half-hour version. If you'd like to listen to the rest of the comments of our guest, Becky Gray, uh, in those other two segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those two segments as well. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with a friend or if you missed part of it, again, carolinanewsmakers.com is where you can go and find uh, the program either in the segmented segments or in its entirety. Well, Becky Gray is our guest. She's Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation. We've talked about the budget impasse. And, and uh, again, just briefly, because some people may have joined us later, uh, this is uh, something that is basically tied down to Medicare expansion. While uh, we were talking about that, we didn't really talk about the pros and cons of Medicaid expansion. Give me a little bit of overview of why some folks think it's great and some folks think this is something we ought to skip. Well, Don, the problem that we're trying to solve is that health care costs have continued to rise and have made health insurance unaffordable for some folks across North Carolina. These people that fall into sort of this gap population make too much money to qualify for the subsidies offered under Obamacare, but they don't make enough to be able to afford health insurance. So that's kind of where this has come from. The governor has said, okay, well, we'll just expand Medicaid to all of those people. 
the and it's under his estimations it's about 643,000 people who would fall into that gap population. Other states have done this with kind of mixed results. Um, one thing that we know in states that have expanded Medicaid is there are more people who end up enrolling in the program than was anticipated. The costs are really pretty crippling for state budgets. According to the North Carolina General Assembly fiscal research, the Medicaid expansion as proposed by the governor would be $6 billion for the first two years. It would increase our Medicaid spending by about 27% and would increase the entire state budget by 7%. So that's really the that outlines the objections that the General Assembly has had is, number one, the cost associated with it, and number two, the Medicaid system that we currently have is going through a transition. There are problems with that current Medicaid program that we have. Two million people, over two million people, are currently on Medicaid. Half the babies born in North Carolina are born under Medicaid coverage. And these are people who are low-income, pregnant women, children, elderly people, people with um, severe developmental disabilities, people who are suffering with severe substance abuse problems. And so many of us believe that we need to make sure that we take care of those people who qualify for the current Medicaid and that they are receiving the best care that they can before we add 637,000 or more people to an already fragile system. Now, Don, getting back to what the problem we're trying to solve is, if health care costs are prohibiting people from being able to buy health insurance, let's look at ways to lower health care costs so that people then can afford health insurance and, and be able to purchase what best meets their needs. And there's a variety of ways to do that and things that are being proposed, things the General Assembly are considering, things like using more telemedicine, using more mid-level providers like nurse practitioners, dental therapist, you know, some of those kind of things to increase the scope of, let people practice within the scope of their training, but increase that access. Things like offering association health plans that actually just passed in the General Assembly to offer so that groups like the North Carolina Realtors, groups like the Farm Bureau, uh, retail merchants could come together and offer health insurance policies for their members. So there's a whole variety of things that could be done to lower the cost of health care and many of us that have looked at this and done quite a bit of study and comparison across states think that that's the better way to go to empower people to be able to buy the health insurance and to get the health care that they need and want rather than extending a government program that still has a long way to go. Now, I've been told by uh, some of my friends who are her, her really consider themselves liberal that even in the states that have the Medicaid expansion, they all look at it as a Band-Aid. They don't think it's going to last long. Right, and that's the problem that we have, and I think we're at a real crossroads um, in our country, and I think North Carolina could really be a model of, I think we're at a crossroads of, where are we going to go with health care? Are we going to go to complete government takeover of health care? Or are we going to move towards more patient-driven, individual, free market solutions for health care? So we really are at a crossroads, and I think North Carolina is a good example of a state that can we, – we're going to have to choose one path or the other. If we go straight, we're going to go off a cliff. Well, I was getting ready to say, you know, sometimes compromise – 
can solve problems, and other times it just keeps you in the middle where you have the worst of both worlds instead of the best of one world. Sometimes that happens. Right. But, you know, when in so many of these big public policy questions, too, you know, there are real people who have, are affected by this. Okay, so uh, you you spend a lot of time at the General Assembly. Yes. Uh, and uh, they've got this uh, redistricting order that they've got to comply with in two weeks, uh, which is going to really be uh, – I don't understand how they can possibly do all the things that were requested in two weeks, but uh, – there is a December 1 uh, sort of deadline, uh, ultimate deadline for sure. Uh, what do you think is going to happen on that, and how quickly can we expect to see a redistricting plan? I think we'll see it within two weeks. I think this is what the court has ordered. In Senator Berger's reaction to this, he has said, you know, en- enough is enough. We've gone on. We've had a decade of this litigation of things being up in the air. It's time to put move forward and put this behind us. I think they're going to do the best they can, given the restrictions, and comply with the court order. And so I think I think that we will have this resolved. I think these maps will be in place for the 2020 election. But, Don, let me tell you, so that may be the good news. The bad news is, or the next piece of this, this will only be for one election. We have the census in 2020. <laughs> We're going to be back to this in full force in 2021, and we will draw districts again for the next 10 years. And I am guessing that whoever is in charge of the General Assembly and drawing those maps will proceed along those lines under some of this criteria that has been outlined by the courts and the other side will sue and we may be right back where we started with this well if we could get a template maybe that won't be as difficult to happen uh, next time as it has been in the past right and you know here's a key to this there is a bill in the general assembly that would take those criteria and as you mentioned those standards the rules that are laid out in this that have come from another court case that would put this into our state constitution so it would not be subject to the whim of a general assembly would not be it would be more it would be in our constitution so it would be much harder to bring constitutional challenges if it's outlined in the constitution and i think that is the way that we need to go and at the end of this or you know after this two-week period i hope that the general assembly will move forward with that and this has been bipartisan republicans and democrats have said for years we need to do something we need to get rid of the the all the wiggle room and whether it's an independent commission again i'm i'm not sure an independent commission is the best idea the best idea is to have the rules in place and one way to do that would be to put this in our state constitution Becky, you uh, have answered that question extraordinarily well, and we appreciate you taking time to be with us on Carolina Newsmakers. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. We look forward to having you back in uh, perhaps in a couple of weeks and tell us what's going on at the General Assembly. Our program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another guest for us next week. Till next week, have a nice week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.